Hey, this is audio producer Jesse Dukes. A while back, I answered a question about why there are so many rats in Chicago. Wow, look at all these rats. Oh, wow. And what's this here? Oh, some kind of hole. A nice burrow right there. And here's another. So you can see all of the fresh rat feces here. This is Rebecca Fife, director of research at Landmark Pest Management, taking me on a rodent safari in what she called the rattiest alley in Lincoln Park. So do you see the really big testicles on this rat? This is a dominant male. Uh, I can't, at the angle, I, okay. I'm not able to see his testicles right well, now. Well, maybe he'll turn, oh, there they are. Oh, wow, yeah, goodness gracious. Yeah, you can't miss them. Since we reported that story, the rat questions have just kept coming. So Curious City is going back to the rats. And this time, I am graciously letting Monica Eng take over the rat beat. Monica, how are those little guys doing? Oh, they are thriving, as we will discuss. But first, I should tell you, we got this new batch of rat questions by way of the Citizens Agenda Project. It's an effort here at WBEZ to reach out to communities across the city to hear their concerns. And it turns out a lot of people see rats as a big problem in their neighborhood, and they want to know what can be done about it. And it is a big problem. I know we don't have an exact head count or tail count, but I do know we have a lot of rats. Yep. As a matter of fact, we've been number one on the Orkin Pest Control Radius City list for six years now. And beyond being kind of embarrassing and gross, that's bad because rats spread disease, destroy property. So I talked to some government officials and rat experts to see how we can do a better job getting rid of them in Chicago. So today I'm going to give you some tips on how to make your community less ratty and how to hold elected officials accountable. Sounds great. Well, let's start close to home. How can I rat-proof my property? Well, Jesse, there are a lot of things you can do. I talked to Lincoln Park Zoo rat researcher Maureen Murray, and here's what she said. Containing garbage, uh, making sure your yard is clean. Rats also really like clutter. So if you have a lot of unmanaged vegetation in your yard, they can find nests in there. It's also important to keep an eye out for access points into your home. So garage doors might not have sweeps that go all the way to the ground and rats can get in. So yeah, you want to make sure your house is uh, sort of a rat-proof fortress. Okay, so what if you are a renter? That's a great question, because 60% of Chicagoans are renters. And one of the people who we heard from through the Citizens Agenda Project was Antonia Garcia. She's a renter, and she says she has rats in her apartment, but her landlord isn't doing anything about it. So she wants to know what her rights are as a renter. So I asked the Department of Housing, and they pointed me to this ordinance that says if there's a rat problem or any pest problem in the building, renters need to deliver a written notice of the problem to the landlord. The landlord then has 14 days to fix it. If he doesn't fix it, the renter can break the lease and get all her money back, including the deposit. Wow, that's actually, that's pretty good protection. Um, So that's individual properties. Let's zoom out a bit and look at rats on the block level. Well, I talked to world-famous rat abatement expert Bobby Corrigan from New York. And I asked, could you really get together with your neighbors and say, okay, we're going to do all the right things on our block, Would rats really hightail it to the other blocks and leave you alone? I mean, do they really act that way? They sure do. They sure do. They're on an energy budget, just like we are on money budgets. That rat says, look, it takes me 25 minutes to get my two ounces of food that I need tonight. But the block over, 
there's so much bad trash over there. All I have to do is scurry over to the nearest property and it only takes me 10 minutes and I'm back in bed. I don't have to worry about getting killed by predators and so forth. But moving rats from one block to another really isn't a solution for the whole city. To make a meaningful dent in the rat population, multiple blocks would have to participate. And Corgan says that's a challenge. That's the hard part for homo sapiens. Many times we don't talk to our neighbors and we're afraid to go to some properties. It's none of my business and I'm not getting involved. Okay, so this sounds like a human behavior problem. Um, And I don't know, maybe we need to involve our elected officials. Can the city help with this rat control? Well, again, I talked to Corgan about this, and he advises cities all over the world on how they can deal with their rats. And he says that every city needs... You know, a rodent task force. And that should be made up of all the players that run that city and run that community. Parks people, sewer people, sanitation people, pest control professionals. And Chicago actually has something like this. It's called the Rodent Control Bureau, and it's headed up by Josie Cruz at the Department of Streets and Sanitation. And their job at that bureau is to respond to citizen rat complaints. We will knock on the door, leave a door hanger, and proceed to do the alley. And if there's any neighbors that come out at their time that would like their yards baited while we're there, we never say no. So they put out the rat bait in the alley, maybe go into the yards. She also says that they proactively return to places where rats have been historically bad to do abatement projects. They also welcome citizens to call them at all times to tell them how the abatement work went and tell them if they're still seeing rats. So the city does have a strategy. You know, I've I've been to the Rat Bureau. I've seen them hard at work. But how can we citizens help? Well, the best thing you can do is call 311 if you're having a rat problem. Josie Cruz says that if you call 311, here's what's going to happen. They'll come out within one to five days. If they don't show up, make sure to call them back and say, hey, what happened? If they don't see you there, they'll leave a door hanger to say, hey, we came and you weren't here. But then they're also supposed to come back two weeks later. And if you don't see them, again, call. Just keep bugging them. It might seem tedious, but it's important to call because the Department of Streets and Sanitation says they don't actually know where their rats are clustered. They depend on the calls to tell them. So the squeaky wheel does get the uh, grease or the the rat poison in this case. Well, speaking of squeaky wheels, I know a lot of Chicagoans like to turn to their aldermen when they're having any kind of neighborhood trouble. Can the aldermen actually help in this case? Yeah, because sometimes these things can be really localized. Uh, An alderman can be super helpful. Here is what Maureen Murray of Lincoln Park Zoo says again. They're sort of like one of the first lines of defense in terms of getting the city involved. I know that quite a few aldermen get a lot of rat feedback from their constituents. And aldermen can request um, interventions from the city, as in I, I've known some aldermen to uh, request rat baiting on multiple blocks at the same time or, um, you know, replacement garbage cans, things like that. So the alderman is a great resource. So I talked to some aldermen about this, and they said they do a lot of rat control. For example, if the garbage cans in your alley are busted up or overflowing, or if people aren't closing the lids, all that can attract rats. And your alderman can send people out to deal with it. Huh. I didn't realize the alderman could actually help with that. 
Yeah, they can, especially through something called a um, ward superintendent. And so that's someone who works both for the aldermen and the Department of Streets and Sanitation. Um, These people can help decrease the rat population by making sure that restaurants get their garbage collected regularly and that they don't have overflowing cans. They can also uh, write citations for people who have very rat-friendly yards. Um, If you see any violations of these ordinances, you need to give your alderman a call and they can help. I mean, some say that they've even taken some of these businesses to court if they have not complied with the ordinances. So it does sound like we've identified a few solutions here. Uh, We need to keep our own property clean and uncluttered. Ideally, we're working with our neighbors to make sure our whole alley and our block is rat proof. And then we need to nag our elected officials. So like calling the alderman's office, calling 311 and getting a rat crew on the scene. That's right. But you know what, Jesse? Just you and me here talking about rats, that can also help our city. How's that? Well, here's what Maureen Murray at Lincoln Park Zoo told me. She says that the stigma of rats keeps a lot of people from even admitting they have a problem or calling because, you know, people might think they're dirty if they say they have a rat problem. You know, living with rats can be a real source of shame for some people where they don't want to tell anybody about it. But I think the more we talk about rats, the more we can appreciate that they're, they're everyone's problem in the city. And the more we talk about it, the more we can find sort of community-based solutions rather than everyone trying to tackle it on their own. We'll be much more effectively dealt with if everyone works together. Okay, well, in the spirit of that avoiding stigma, I will just say my name is Jesse Dukes, and I may have found little pellets in my basement indicating rats may have made a home there at some point, hopefully very long ago. Holy moly. Uh, Well, here I am saying I live in Lakeview and I see a couple rats a day. Just last night I was walking the dogs and there was a little guy just scurrying right in front of us, not even scared of us. So it's a problem all over. Yeah, they are kind of cute, but definitely a problem too. Well, thank you, Monica, for talking about rat solutions today. You got it, Jesse. That was Curious City reporter Monica Eng. And guess what? We've got something else for you. If you have listened to a lot of Curious City, you know we get to investigate the hidden parts of Chicago. Politics, architecture, nature, and unexpected places. And sometimes we look for a little extra help. Somebody to suggest topics maybe you didn't know you were interested in. We've partnered with the Chicago Architecture Center to solicit architecture-related questions, the Newbury Library for questions about what it means to be Midwestern. So what about a professional wrestler? Maybe that's not what you were expecting on Curious City, but hey, we are in fact joined by Scott Colton, or you might know him by his ring name, Colt Cabana. He's a professional wrestler, comedian, podcaster, and actually, like, what should I call you? Do you want to be Scott or Colt? Oh, I, I guess growing up on the mean streets of Deerfield, I was always Scott. But if we're talking wrestling and we're talking business, uh, I guess this is part of my business. Professionally, I'm known as Colt Cabana. All right, Colt. So where does Colt Cabana come from? Colt was always my nickname growing up, and I always wanted that to be my first name. And I went through probably a dozen different last names trying to get something to, to stick. Colt McCullough, Colt Nevada. Eventually, I chose Colt Cabana. I think it just flowed well. Obviously, 
from the Barry Manilow song Copacabana, which is a song that I would use as my entrance music uh, in my early years. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that. I was talking with Steven, and I was like, I hope it's because of Barry Manilow. I hope it's because of Barry Manilow. So can you explain to Curious City listeners like how we got in touch with you in the first place? Well, I've been a listener of Curious City for a long time now, and always a little bit of me is like hoping for a wrestling story of some sort or something because there's so much rich Chicago wrestling history and I've never heard one, but you guys had produced the Steve Goodman story. And I remember when the Cubs won the World Series, just being enamored with that video of him on the rooftop mm, singing yeah. that song. And I just watched it over and over and over. And I was also like, I believe I tweeted the Curious City team just saying how much I loved the story, how much I enjoyed the story. And then, of course, I'm going to throw in a little, hey, how about a wrestling story? And here we are. Yeah. And I got to say, when you tweeted, hey, how about a Curious City wrestling story? I was instantly sold because I I grew up watching wrestling. I watched it in college in the 90s during the Monday Night Wars. So I'm kind of a fan But for a Curious City listener who maybe thinks they don't like wrestling, what do they maybe not understand about your sport? Well, there's probably a lot of people that don't necessarily like wrestling who are listening. But a lot of people, they just think about professional wrestling now and they think about what they see on television, whether it's the company that I'm with, AEW, on TNT, or whether it's the WWE. The double is all at the steel chair! But before that giant show that we all think of there was a more simpler time where wrestlers would just go to the arena and there was no explosions and there weren't really even barely cameras and Chicago plays a huge part of that history whether it was the first national televised show or whether it was just the people who were working at the stockyards and then wrestling on the weekend. You're basically getting at the idea that these aren't necessarily wrestlers who are making their living wrestling. Like maybe they have a job at the stockyards and they're getting off work and then going to the arena. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily this giant national touring circus like we think about these days. There was a couple of national headlining acts that would come around. Gorgeous George, Antonio Rocca, or even Lou Fez. For the most part, there was just kind of some local wrestlers in Chicago forming a a Chicago wrestling scene. And there's a lot of history there that we just don't know about or don't think about or don't really put on a platform. And that's kind of what I'd like to do is is think less of, like, this big, giant wrestling show and more of the history of Chicago. The winner of the fall and the match, Angelo Papo. Yeah, and, you know, I am, I'm really fascinated by the drama of wrestling. You know, in wrestling, there are good guys that you call baby faces and bad guys. You call heels. And often the bad guys kind of reflect the social anxieties at the time. So, you know, in the 1980s, for example, with the Cold War and nuclear arms race, we had Nikolai Volkov supposedly representing the Soviet Union, you know, singing the Soviet national anthem. You know, his tag team partner, the Iron Sheik, supposedly representing Iran. You know, and then other times, maybe in bad economies, a lot of the heels were like 
rich guys in suits. You're gonna hide behind your stacks of money? Or bosses. Screw you! You're fired! Suggesting this anxiety about money and employment. I'm curious about what stories were told in the ring in Chicago. You know, a city where we've had so much tension over racial segregation, political corruption, class conflict, inequality. You know, what does learning about Chicago wrestling in the 1970s or 80s tell us about Chicago at that time? Obviously, I'm interested in this, but what about our listeners? What about you? What questions do you have about wrestling in Chicago? You can tweet at WBEZ Curious City. Email us at CuriousCity at WBEZ.org, or as always, ask your question at WBEZ.org slash CuriousCity. And Cole Cabana, thank you so much for joining us on Curious City. Hopefully your idea will shake loose some good questions about Chicago wrestling. Thank you so much for having me. It was a good debut, and I hope to be back to talk more about Chicago professional wrestling. Yeah, I hope so too. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. This episode was produced by Stephen Jackson. I'm Jesse Dukes. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.